You're listening to The Riches of His Grace, which is a weekly podcast devotional on the book of Ephesians. Uh, It's sort of a devotional slash Bible study. And uh, our goal is really to mine the riches of this crucial letter, of this significant letter written by the Apostle Paul, uh, to encourage Christians to be reminded of all of the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ, the blessings of adoption as children of God, even though we were once children of wrath, uh, that God has saved us by grace, by his favor alone, not because of anything he saw in us, but because in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters, and that he has saved us uh, through grace in Jesus Christ, which we receive by faith, faith alone. We trust in the great provision God has provided for sinners in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this has massive implications for how uh, different people groups relate to each other. Jews and Gentiles are now united as one new man, united by the Spirit of God. And we all, as Christians, are united with one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Spirit who indwells us and who gives us the ability to form a new community of love and of service that builds itself up like a temple. It's a body. It's a body that, when it's healthy, grows up into love. And so the gospel has has vertical implications for reconciling us to God, but it also has horizontal implications, reconciling us to each other to form this new humanity, this spark of light in a dark world. And that theme... Of, of being countercultural, of being light in darkness, of not looking like the world and being a testimony and a witness to the character and purposes of God is central to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to look at the first 17 verses of Ephesians chapter 5, where we are given instructions by God himself through the Apostle Paul of what it means for us to be Christians. What does it mean to be somebody who follows Christ? And we're going to get some very helpful and I would say very practical explanations about that. Listen to uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. 
Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What does it mean to be a Christian? Paul gives us a straight answer. A Christian is an imitator of God. A Christian is somebody who imitates God. That's what it means to follow Christ, to walk as Christ walked, to love as Christ loved. But this is not some kind of sentimental, fuzzy feeling type of love. It has a very explicit meaning. Christ loved us and walked in love by giving himself up for us. So it is love marked with self-sacrifice. Now, before you start to think, is that legalism? Uh, Are we saying we've got to imitate Christ to be saved? Remember, the grammar of the books of the Bible is so important, and, and Ephesians is no different. Ephesians begins with the word, therefore. Now, good Bible study always says you have to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? In other words, there's some truth that Paul has explained that logically leads to this application to be imitators of God. So what's the therefore, therefore? Well, when we read the preceding passages, we learn that we are to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving to one another because God in Christ forgave us. So grace is not opposed to obedience, but rather empowers it and motivates it. The logic is God in Christ forgave us. Therefore, out of the fact that we are freely forgiven by God, we, we should extend that forgiveness to others. And in the same respect, Christ loved us while we were sinners. He walked in love and gave himself up for us, not when we were converted, not when we decided that we wanted to follow God, but while we were enemies and rebels, Christ offered himself as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You can see that Old Testament Leviticus language of, a, of an offering and sacrifice. These are, these are fulfillments of the Old Testament sacrificial system that Jesus Christ is embodying. So grace is the foundation for our obedience. Since Christ gave himself for us, we must imitate him by giving ourselves up for others. Now, it's not a perfect analogy because we're not going to die on a cross for other people. But it's the mentality of that, that Jesus Christ, as Philippians 2 tells us, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He took on flesh and he became like us. And we too are to imitate that attitude, not to look at ourselves as higher than other people, but to view ourselves as servants of God who walk in love, who give ourselves up for the sake of our brothers and our sisters. So this is marked uh, by sacrificial service. This entire passage is meant to think and be considerate of others, to love your neighbor as yourself, and in so doing, reveal that you truly know who God is. And we're born into this world as imitators. All of us learned how to speak by hearing our parents. We copied their mannerisms. We subconsciously learned social cues in our uh, different learning environments, whether it be school or sport teams or just out in public. We imitate 
all of these things on a subconscious level. And we also imitate sinful patterns. We imitate the ways in which the world uh, molds us through advertisements and what it values and, and the media. And all these things are, are, are slowly shaping and discipling us in the ways of the world. So we're either going to be apprenticed by the world, the flesh, and the devil, or by Jesus Christ. And there's really no middle ground. And what Paul is trying to paint here is when you become a Christian, there's two things that are happening. One, you're not only learning how to imitate God, but you're unlearning your imitation of the world. You're no longer following the pathway, the grooves of the world, but you are now establishing habits and practices and walking in a, in a manner of living that is in a completely different direction from the world. So here's a practical example. Paul says, what am I talking about when I talk about walking in love? What does it mean to imitate God? Is it some lofty experience, this super spiritual kind of emotional release? No, it's completely practical and grounded in morality, right? I mean, morality is not an ugly word in Christianity. God saved us so that we might become people who are morally transformed, no longer enslaved to our sins, but now slaves of righteousness, as Paul explains in Romans chapter 6. So Paul says, stop sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, right? which he interestingly points out is idolatry. When, when you covet things, you're not just wanting bad things, but you're also wanting good things in a bad way. You're, you're wanting good things over God. Money in itself is not bad, but if you want it over God, it becomes an idol. Family is not bad. You should love your family, but, but if, if you love your family uh, instead of God, then, then you've made them an idol. So these three things, sexual morality, impurity, and covetousness, are are in Paul's purview of targeting these specific sins, which were sins that were rampant in the first century as they are today in the 21st century. But notice what Paul says. Why should you turn away from these things? Why must they not even be named among you? Now, I don't think Paul is saying you shouldn't actually say things like sexual morality or impurity and covetousness because obviously Paul names them. But I think he's saying you, you should not be associated with these things. An unbeliever shouldn't look at your life and think, oh, you just kind of live like the rest of us. But you should be markedly different. And here's why. Because it is, it is not proper among saints to speak this way. Notice what he's doing. He's saying you shouldn't act like this because you guys are saints. You guys are holy ones set apart from God. That's, that's what a saint means. It's a holy one. In other words, he's saying that's not who you are anymore. So, so act in accordance with what God has now declared you to be, holy. And he keeps going and he says this, this goes down not just to the way you use your body, but the way you use your mouth, your tongue. You think about the book of James, how important the tongue is, how, how the tongue is like a little flame that can set a whole fire, a, a whole forest ablaze in fire, right? And Paul says, look, I don't want you not only to abstain from uh, these physical acts, but I want you to abstain from speaking in such a way that demonstrates that you're just like the world, Right? He says, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. And he says they're out of place. Again, he's, he's saying before, it's not proper to, to act in this way because it's not proper for saints. And now he's saying it's not proper for saints to, to speak in a certain way. It's not appropriate to the new context that you live in. And so Paul says, look, 
I want you to recognize that you're not just turning away from bad things, but now you are pursuing the good. You are pursuing what is righteous. And he says, look, instead of filthy, foolish talk, replace it with thanksgiving. Replace those biting, cynical, tearing down people words with words of gratitude towards God. That'll, that'll change you if you do that. And then he brings a stern warning in verse 5. Right? I want you to make sure that you know that if you do these things, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Christ. Now, it's common to hear Christians say that uh, they can do whatever they want because it's God's job to forgive them. God's going to forgive them. But this just reveals that they are deceived by what Paul calls empty words. Right? He says people are going to spread false teaching. They're, they're going to speak things that have no hope in them. Now, our culture laughs at anyone who condemns sexual immorality as, as people who are repressed or prude, and they scoff at the notion that God cares who you have sex with or what you do with your body, but God does care. And anyone who tells you otherwise has given you empty words. His wrath will come upon those who refuse to turn from their sins. So don't get caught up in that. Paul says, don't even be partners with them. Don't associate with them. Stop acting as though you're not different because you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Notice he says, he actually says you, you were darkness. You weren't just in darkness, you were darkness. It characterized your life, but now you are light. Being comes before doing, right? A man and a woman are first declared married, and then they act married out of that declaration. In the same respect, God declares us as people of light, and now we act that way out of that declaration. God declares us holy. Now we, we are to live holy. God declares us forgiven. Now we live as forgiven people. It is the identity marker that comes first, and then we live out of that new status. And this is why the Apostle Paul stresses that you are now light in the Lord. Not only that, but he says we're children of light. Walk as children of light. Right there, the identity marker. God has adopted you, right? You are the light of the world. Now act like that's true. Live like that is true. And that's, that's going to take discernment. All right, Paul says, use wisdom to discern what pleases God. All right, Proverbs 1 tells us that wisdom is to fear God. And we fear God by obeying his word and submitting to it. Right? And so if we want to uh, avoid the unfruitful works of darkness, if we want to discern what is pleasing to God, we have to use wisdom. We have to understand the scriptures, understand who God is. And then, and then through, through applying the word of God in our everyday context, we learn what is truly pleasing to the Lord. And what is definitely not pleasing is associating light with dark. And this is what he says. He says, don't, don't take part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It's not just enough to say, I'm not going to take part in evil, but I'm going to expose evil. That's what light does. Light and darkness cannot coexist. When light streams into a room, it reveals everything that's hidden. It casts out darkness. And in a similar way, if you're a Christian and you enter into a dark world, you're to cast out those evil things, not just avoid them. And then there's this interesting usage of a, a smattering of Old Testament texts where, where Paul talks about how Christ is shining upon us. He's awaking us from our slumber. He's raising us from the dead. That the light of Christ has shone on us 
changed us and therefore now recalibrates and redirects the course of our lives. And this is why Paul ends this little section by saying, be careful how you walk, how you live your life, how you go through life in this world. Choose to be wise, but not unwise. Choose to follow the word of God and apply that versus the foolish ideologies of the world. And he says, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. This doesn't mean you just fill up your calendar with Bible studies and all these Christian you know, ministry activities, though that could be a part of it. But he's really saying, I want you to have a sober mind about what's actually going on, right? When he talks about how the days are evil, he, he's, he's making a reference to what I think the Apostle Paul uh, speaks about otherwise, or in another place in Galatians 1.14, or 1.4, that Christ died to deliver us from this present evil age. So this current age is in darkness, as we saw in Ephesians 2. This world is, is led by the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, and enslaved to their sins. And Paul is going, you need to understand that this is what's happening. Don't live in these evil days as evil people. Understand that these days are evil, but you are to live in a way that is countercultural to these evil days. That's how you make the best use of time. You pursue the good. You pursue good works. You pursue love to neighbor and love toward God, and you reject the lies of the world. But that's going to require, again, discernment. And this is a responsibility we all have as Christians to discern, to imitate Christ in, a, in, in, in morality, in our moral character, in a word that is antagonistic to him. Christians themselves must develop this wisdom. And it's not the job of gurus or celebrity pastors. We must do the hard work of cultivating this wisdom and discernment. We must do the hard work of diving into the word of God, studying it, meditating on it, memorizing it, and most importantly, doing it. And as we do it, we become the people God has already declared us to be, his holy saints, his children, his beloved children who walk in love and who walk as children of light, exposing the works of darkness, not becoming partners with them, and promoting righteousness. This is the will of God. This is pleasing to God. We must become Christ-like. And that can only happen if Christ himself first gave himself up for us. This is what he saved us for. It's not just what he saved us from, but what did he save us to? The good works that he has prepared beforehand for those who love him. Thanks for listening to this. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, share this with a friend, and dive into Ephesians yourself as we continue on in this series. And we will see you guys next week.